Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You never would believe the way I've lived. You don't know all the things I'm guilty of. My sins are much too horrid to forgive. I'm covered by the shame of all I've done. If this is your story, you need to know the truth. God doesn't care. He just wants to love you. His grace can reach the deepest in despair. So no matter what you've done, God doesn't care. You may not understand the way God loves. His grace has covered sin we'll never know. So stand beneath the cross where Jesus hung and let him wash you in the cleansing flow. Whatever your story, you need to know the truth. God doesn't care. He just wants to love you. His grace can reach the deepest in despair. So no matter what you've done, God doesn't care. He cares about the pain that weighs you down. He cares about what breaks your heart in two. He cares about the tears you're crying now. But if your yesterdays can't keep his love from you, whatever your story, you need to know the truth. God doesn't care. He just wants to love you. His grace can reach the deepest in despair. So no matter what you've done, God doesn't care. Welcome back to another edition of Hope for Today. I have just read the words of the song, God Doesn't Care, written by Greater Vision. And just like the song says, it doesn't matter what you've done. God doesn't care. He just wants to love you. His grace and forgiveness are available to you today. And that is good news. And that is the truth. Today, I would like to profile some people who were living for themselves and doing whatever they thought was right in their own eyes until God opened their eyes to the true condition of their souls. The first person I would like to introduce you to is a woman from North Carolina named Velma Barfield. Now, many of you might remember that name, and it doesn't leave you with good thoughts because Velma Barfield was a murderer. I'm going to read you a brief account of her life from the one-year Christian history book by Michael and Sharon Rustin. Velma Barfield was born in rural North Carolina in October of 1932. As the oldest daughter, she became the target of her drunken father's abuse for trying to protect her younger siblings. Quote, A lot of those times I wanted to talk to somebody about all the bad feelings going on inside me, like all the anger and resentment, Velma recalled. I didn't know who could do anything about it, anyhow. I just kept pushing it deeper inside. No one in the community knew what life was like in their home. When she was 17, Velma escaped the horror at home by eloping with a young man from church. During the next four years, she had a son and a daughter and experienced happiness for the first time in her life. Then, life began to fall apart. Hospitalized after an accident caused by a drunk driver, Velma suffered her first bout of depression. About the same time, her husband began to drink and became abusive. Velma supported their family by working two full-time jobs. Worn down by stress and lack of sleep, she suffered a nervous breakdown in 1968. Velma found some relief from the pain and shame that had hounded her from childhood through the drugs the doctors prescribed for her depression. Soon, she was addicted to prescription tranquilizers and painkillers and supported her habit by fraud, hiding the drugs and her pain from everyone. Only her children suspected she had a problem. Then on March the 13th, 1978, 
Velma Barfield, the grandmother next door, confessed to poisoning the man she hoped to marry. Later, it was revealed that she had murdered three others as well, all with arsenic. Although aware that each had died, in her drug-induced fog, Velma could only remember wanting painful people to go away. Coming off drugs nearly killed her during the five months of solitary confinement while she awaited trial, and Velma was at the bleakest point of her life. Her one thought was, I want to die. Outside Velma's cell, a guard regularly listened to a Christian radio station. One night, an evangelist invited everyone who could hear his voice to accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Velma later said, The horror of my life ever since childhood had been unbearable, but the marvelous revelation was that God knew that. He knew that I was helpless without him, and that's why he sent his only son. Jesus was blameless, paid the penalty for me because I couldn't undo my grievous sins. I couldn't bring those people back to life. It was too late to go back. But I realized at that time that I could go forward. Going forward was not easy, even with Christ. Velma was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to death. The next five years of appeals and stays of execution were a time appointed by God for the redemption of many. Velma joined a prison Bible study and led many young women to Christ. She corresponded with hundreds of people from death row and wrote her autobiography, testifying to the transforming power of God. But God did not choose to stop her execution. Anne Graham Lotz, Billy Graham's daughter, had become a close friend of Velma's and later wrote, I witnessed the execution of my dearly beloved sister in Christ on November 2, 1984. Comforted by the knowledge that physical death is no interruption to a believer's relationship with Jesus Christ, it is merely a stepping over from a relationship based on faith to one of sight. Velma Barfield, with peace and tranquility on her face, her lips moving in silent prayer, closed her eyes in death at 2.15 a.m., while opening them to the face of her beloved Savior and Lord for all eternity. So even though Velma had murdered several people, after she trusted in Jesus to save her from her sins, God changed her into someone He used to further His kingdom on earth. She was able to use the power God had given her, even while on death row, to influence many young women in the prison. Her hope was not in this world, but in the world to come. Where is your hope today? If your hope is in yourself and your power, it is limited. If your hope is in your children or your parents or your best friend, you will be disappointed. There is one who knows you the best and loves you the most, and he knew you before you were born, and he knows how many days you have left on this earth. Now, since he knows all this about you, don't you think it would behoove you to get to know him better? And how do you think you might get to know him better? Through praying to him? reading and studying His Word, going to church if you are able, listening to sermons, singing or reading hymns, reading Christian books. In Proverbs 16:20, we read that obedience brings blessings. Do you want God's blessings in your life? His blessings cannot be bought because they are the fruit of His Spirit. They are His gifts to those of us who have trusted in His Son to save us from our sins. They are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. In my one-minute prayer book, a favorite prayer is from James Boyd. Fill us with the Spirit of Jesus, that all our speech and conduct may reveal His life in us, that we may constantly glorify Thee.
If we want to know what God wants us to do, we need to ask Him. In the Bible, in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, it says, If you want to know what God wants you to do, ask Him, and He will gladly tell you. For He is always ready to give a bountiful supply of wisdom to all who ask Him. He will not resent it. But when you ask Him, be sure that you really expect Him to tell you. For a doubtful mind will be as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And every decision you then make will be uncertain as you turn first this way and then that. If you don't ask with faith, don't expect the Lord to give you any solid answer. God is the source of wisdom, and the path to God is through obedience to Him, which is just what I described, praying, reading the Bible, listening to sermons, and so on. The next person I would like to tell you about today may be more familiar than Velma Barfield. At least a song he wrote will be. The song, Amazing Grace. The songwriter, John Newton. In the one-year Christian history book, there are 366 stories about different people and events which occurred on a particular day of the year. Most people have one day in which their history is told, but in the case of John Newton, there were three days written about him. I will now read you excerpts from those three days that recount Newton's colorful life from the one-year Christian history book by Michael and Sharon Rustin. John Newton, the son of a sea captain, was born in London in 1725. When he was six, he lost his mother, but before she died, she prayed that he would become a minister. Choosing another path, Newton went to sea with his father at age 11. After an unsuccessful stint in the Royal Navy, he went to work for a slave trader. As things went from bad to worse in his life, he hit bottom as the slave of a white slave trader's black mistress on one of the plantain islands off the Sierra Leone coast. For two long years, he was hungry and destitute. Then in 1747, he began working once more on a slave ship. In March 1748, Newton had an experience that changed him forever. He wrote in his journal, quote, Among the few books we had on board, one was Stanhope's Thomas Akempis. I carefully took it up, as I had often done before, to pass away the time. But I had still read it with the same indifference, as if it was entirely a romance. However, while I was reading this time, an involuntary suggestion arose in my mind. What if these things should be true? He went to bed that night, but was awakened by a fierce storm. Within a few minutes, the ship was a virtual wreck, filling with water. Working frantically, the crew finally plugged the leaks. In his exhaustion, Newton heard himself say to the captain, If this will not do it, the Lord have mercy upon us. Newton was instantly taken aback by his own words. This was the first time he had desired God's mercy in years. Then the thought went through his mind, What mercy can there be for me? The next day, March 21, 1748, the storm continued. Newton was summoned to the helm where he had time to reflect. He sadly concluded that there had never been a sinner as wicked as he and that his sins were too great and too many to be forgiven. His journal records the deliverance from the storm and his spiritual deliverance as well. Quote, This is a day much to be remembered by me and I have never suffered it to pass wholly unnoticed since the year 1748. On that day, the Lord sent from on high and delivered me out of the deep waters. End of quote. Later he wrote, 
I stood in need of an almighty Savior, and such a one I found described in the New Testament. I was no longer an infidel. I heartily renounced my former profaneness, and I had taken up some right notions, was seriously disposed and sincerely touched with a sense of the undeserved mercy I had received in being brought safe through so many dangers. Although he continued sailing and working in the slave trade for a time, he studied the Bible, prayed, read Christian books, and finally left the sea behind. In 1764, at age 39, John Newton began a new life as a minister in the Church of England, later writing his autobiographical hymn, Amazing Grace. Throughout his life, he stopped to thank God on the anniversary of his conversion. The last entry in his journal was written on March the 21st, 1805, the anniversary of his deliverance. Quote, Not well able to write, but I endeavor to observe the return of this day with humiliation, prayer, and praise. One of the things I learned as I was reading this, uh, I didn't understand and hadn't heard about his relationship with his wife and just how much he really loved her and almost worshipped her. And I'm going to read this also, this account of, of his relationship with his wife. By his own admission, Newton's admiration of his wife approached levels of idolatry. He was passionately in love with her, an emotion that did not dim with the passing of the years. Consequently, as it became apparent that his wife's days were coming to a close, Newton's friends were concerned over what effect her death would have on him. As his wife's health continued to deteriorate, John found his mind preoccupied with her well-being. Quote, I had been watching with much feeling and too much anxiety my failing gourd upon which a worm by the divine appointment has been long praying. End of quote. Newton related his last communication with his wife on Sunday, December 12, 1790. When I was preparing for church in the morning, she sent for me, and we took a final farewell as to this world. She faintly uttered an endearing compilation, which was familiar to her, and gave me her hand, which I held while I prayed by her bedside. We exchanged a few tears, but I was almost as unable to speak as she was. That same evening, Mrs. Newton lost her faculties of speech, sight, and hearing. One of Newton's chief concerns as his wife's health failed was his own ability to model the truths he had spent so many years preaching from the pulpit. He had long emphasized the gospel's message of comfort to those who are afflicted. He had preached to God who was the foundation of truth, the comforter of all who suffer, and the source of strength and help to all who desire to be assisted. Now, the author of Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, came to realize that he had to admit his need for God's grace in a time of his own great need. In his memoirs, he relates the result of this understanding. From the time that I so remarkably felt myself willing to be helped, I might truly say to the praise of the Lord, my heart trusted in him, and I was helped indeed. It was only three days from the time his wife lost her ability to communicate that she drew her last breath. John sat faithfully by her side, holding a candle by which he watched his beloved life expire on December 15, 1790. He immediately knelt and thanked the Lord for her peaceful deliverance. With the help of the Lord, Newton did not spend the days after his wife's departure mourning alone in his home. He preached three times before his wife was buried and preached at her funeral as well, with tears streaming down his cheeks. Five years later, 
On the anniversary of her death, Newton reflected on his marriage and the passing of his wife in a poem. Then let me change my sighs to praise for all that he has done and yield my few remaining days to him and him alone. I hope to join her soon again, on yonder happy shore, where neither sorrow, sin, nor pain shall ever reach us more. God's grace was truly a sweet sound in the ears of John Newton. And under the reflection um, section, it says, Whom do you love most in this world? Do you think you can trust God for his comfort if that person dies before you do? Will you meet again in heaven? And then John Newton's final year was analogous to the setting of the sun. He had gradually lost his hearing and sight, and he could no longer recognize some of his closest friends. He declined to the point where he could not walk unaided. In his closing months, Newton clung to the truths he had spent years preaching from the pulpit and conveying through his writings. In his final month, Newton summarized the sufficiency of his failing mental faculties with these words, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. In spite of his decline, Newton was able to describe the approaching end of his earthly life with great insight and anticipation. Quote, I am like a person going on a journey in a stagecoach who expects its arrival every hour and is frequently looking out at the window for it. In another conversation, Newton said, It is a great thing to die, and when flesh and heart fail to have God for the strength of our heart and our portion forever. I know whom I have believed, and he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that great day. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. On the Wednesday before his death, when someone asked him how he was doing, he replied, I am satisfied with the Lord's will. John Newton's final sunset came on Monday, December 21, 1807, when he died at the age of 83. He was buried in his church of St. Mary Woolnoth next to his wife Mary and his niece, Miss Eliza Cunningham. Newton wrote his own epitaph, which is engraved on a plain marble tablet in the church. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. As John Newton's memory began to fail him in old age, two thoughts remained as the foundation of his faith, that he was a great sinner and that Jesus was a great Savior. What thoughts would you want to characterize the end of your life? And from Romans 4, 6 through 8, King David spoke of this, describing the happiness of an undeserving sinner who is declared to be righteous. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose sin is no longer counted against them by the Lord. One interesting thing that I learned while preparing this program was that since John Newton went to sea at age 11, he had no education, religious or otherwise, and he studied at night for 16 years before he became an ordained minister. While looking up the words of the hymn Amazing Grace to read at the end of today's program, I came across several of John Newton's famous quotes, three of which I would like to share with you. And the first one, Trials are medicines which our gracious and wise physician prescribes because we need them. 
And the second, we can easily manage if we will only take each day the burden appointed to it. But the load will be too heavy for us if we carry yesterday's burden over again today and then add the burden of tomorrow before we are required to bear it. And the third, I am not the man I ought to be. I am not the man I wish to be, and I am not the man I hope to be. But by the grace of God, I am not the man I used to be. You know, you can read all through the Bible, and there are lots of familiar names. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Samson, David, Joshua, and so on. And except for Jesus Christ, they all were sinners, just like we are. But for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, we can be assured our sins have been forgiven, that we will not perish, but that by the grace of God, we will be saved and we will receive the gift of everlasting life. I had one more person I was going to profile for you today. This man figures prominently in the New Testament, but since I'm almost out of time today, I will save this man's story until next week because his conversion experience and his changed life deserve our undivided attention for more than five minutes. If you think for one second that what you have done in your life is so bad it will keep you out of heaven that God could never forgive you, then be sure to listen next week because it will surely bring you hope for today and for eternity. In closing, I would like to read the words of John Newton's famous autobiographical hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. From Romans fifteen thirteen. I pray that God, who gives you hope, will keep you happy and full of peace as you believe in Him. I pray that God will help you overflow with hope in Him through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thank you for listening. Taught my heart to fear. 
to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carroll Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal. 